I want to ask you what is wrong with this picture when it appears. It's the picture of a house. Does anybody know what is wrong with the house? What would you say is wrong with the house? Half the roof's missing. Half the roof's missing. Anything else missing? The door's down, yeah. But let me tell you, if you go inside, since I helped to draw this picture, inside it is incredible bathrooms. They have, no, they have gold toilet bowls. And the plumbing is absolutely fantastic throughout the whole house. There are pipes everywhere, taps everywhere, bathroom showers everywhere. It inside is the perfection of a house well plumbed. But there's no light because the plumber couldn't do the work of the electrician. And there's no tiles because the plumber had no skill at tiling. And there's no plasterboard, is that the right term? Drywall. There's no drywall because the plumber didn't have any skill at drywalling. So what do we need to do to complete the house? We need an electrician. We need a roofer. <laughs> we need a tiler. We need a skilled drywaller and a painter and a decorator and then the house will be perfect, mature, grown up, ready for occupation and joy and pleasure. Of course, I'm talking about one. I'm talking about our house, the church of the living God. And the challenge we face in our Western church life is that we've created a single ministry leadership to build the house, and it's not scriptural. And so we have the pastor. He opens the meeting. He prays for the meeting. He sometimes leads the worship or interrupts the worship. He preaches the sermon. He gives the altar call. He takes the offering. He doesn't take it for himself personally, although some do. He closes the meeting. He buries the dead. He marries the young people. He dedicates the babies. And he goes home exhausted for a marriage breakup. It's the wrong paradigm. The Bible doesn't teach one plumber builds the house. We might have expert plumbing but the house is incomplete. It's not ready for occupation of the Lord Jesus as he returns from heaven to earth, as we sung about this morning. But we cultivate that kind of paradigm. Well, we pay the guy, so he's got to do the job, right? And we want to see, that's my pastor, and he represents God to me, so I don't have to worry. Jesus' gift to the church is a team of equippers. Plumbers and electricians and roofers and plasterers, tilers. He's given, he says in the word of God in Ephesians 4, 
a number of equippers, five of them, actually. But there are more than just five. But these five are worth reading about. And he gave the, he gave the church, or he gave, literally in the Greek, it's he gave gifteds. So if I'm a gifted person, I'm a gift to you from Jesus to help equip you and therefore, it's not me being bigger or better or more valuable. It's just a gift, and the gift is not earned. It's given. So Jesus, in his purpose of building the church, he gave gifteds. And there are several. There are apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Look what it does. Next slide. It's to equip the saints for the work of their ministry. So that when, when a young man is about to get his driver's license, he goes through driver's ed. And driver's ed equips him to drive. It gives him information and skill so that now he could do something for the present and for his whole future that he couldn't do before. He's equipped by the driver's ed person. And secondly, it's for the building up of the body. So that these different gifteds which is Jesus in kaleidoscope, sometimes called the ascended gifts. These gifted people equip you and me to be more effective in our task of reaching a lost world. And then, not only that, but there is a result until we arrive at unity of the faith. So, on working at a house, one of the struggles I've learned from my son, who's a contractor, a very good one I've heard and seen, is the coordinating of all the different gifteds so that at the right time and at the right moment, we get an apostolic input or a prophetic input or a pastoral input or a teaching input or an evangelistic input. Not that we all become apostles, but we all become apostolic or prophetic or pastoral. Pastoral simply means loving people and taking care of people and teaching them. So we get rid of the religious word and the title for a minute. It means loving people, caring for people who are absent of love. And everybody, every one of us loves to be loved. Did you know that? I, I love being loved. I never say to my wife, honey, would you back off, stop loving and kissing me? Rather, I say, bring it on. <laughs> the deepest desire of the human heart is to love and to be loved without shame. And the problem is we've got one plumber trying to do all the job. And so we stay immature and ill-equipped and impotent in our task, which... The Spirit of God is constantly longing through us to reach our world, but we just don't know how to do it, and we're not equipped for it because we built a wrong paradigm around church, except this one and others, of course. This one is in Ephesians 4, equipping church so that we may be equipped and grow up and be united so we're a dwelling place for God. Hannah, what gift was she bringing us last week, would you say? Teaching, excellent. Who said that? Correct. It was a teaching gift. 
So she was, as a gift from Jesus, she herself, equipped as a gifted person, cooperating and learning how to develop that gift, hone that gift, she now comes amongst us and she teaches us about pleasant and bitterness and that beautiful revelation, she now imparts it to me. So now I'm equipped with the ability not to become necessarily a teacher, but I can certainly do some teaching in my family, with my kids, with my neighbor. And I'm equipped with that beautiful redemptive story about Naomi and Ruth and the picture of Jesus in it. I'm equipped now, it's lovely to get blessed, and I, I know we were all blessed in ourselves, and we suck it up, and we take the food, and we eat it, and we love the teaching for me, but that's not the end-term purpose. The purpose is so that you go and teach an ignorant society who's longing to be loved, who's longing to be reconciled, but doesn't know how, and is trapped in the deceitfulness of all that goes on in our world. So I'm saying all of that because what I want to do is to strengthen us in the area of caring and loving people this morning as a gift, a pastoral equipping gift. Are you ready to take hold of that? Love is the most powerful, all-consuming passion by which all true life is measured. What we love, what we worship, defines us. Your soul, my soul, and that of all others around us are satisfied and made happy to the degree with which we find pleasure in God loving me. The prophet Jeremiah talks of the Lord's soul. So God has a soul. So if the worth and the excellence of God's life is measured by the object of his soul's love, what is the object of God's love? You. Me. His world. For which he gave his life. So we return to the psalm. The context then is I, I'm wanting to pleasure you with the word of God so that you will be better equipped. I'm not wanting to just tickle your ears and make you feel good, although that would be perfectly legitimate this morning. But I want to go further. I want to go more into the, what the ultimate purpose of God is for his church, for his bride, of which we are giving our lives for which he gave his. So we go back to the psalm. Let's just read it together. Would you stand and read this, the word of God here? The Lord, or Jehovah, with me, I am, is my shepherd. I shall not want provider. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Peace, pause. Anybody want peace? <laughs> oh, 
You know what? Our society takes a pill to wake up in the morning, a pill to go to sleep, a pill to stay awake during the day. If you shake them, they shake like a baby's rattle. No peace. No peace for the wicked. He restores my soul, healer. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many of you want the staff? How many of you want the rod? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, banner of victory. You anoint, sanctifier, my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall chase after me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, for he is with me. You can sit down. There's a law in the scriptures that the theologians will tell us about, which is called the law of first mention. That is, when some doctrine is first mentioned in the Bible, it carries great significance at that moment for the rest of the teaching of that doctrine throughout the Bible. And so the first name is Jehovah. It means literally, I am, dot, dot, dot. And so you fill in another name or character of God behind I am. And so seven great names appear in this one psalm. The great names of Jehovah. And we could put I am. The good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You could be sitting here this morning and you haven't yet made the Lord your good shepherd. For the Bible tells us in John that God, the good shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep. And so equipping us this morning, we are to be like that to our world, laying down our life. Oh, I thought it was just Jesus for me. Yes, it was and is. I am the good shepherd the great shepherd. He said, I am the great shepherd. So you can only be great if there are other shepherds, if he's the great shepherd of other shepherds. You're a shepherd. Or certainly you're to do, do, do some shepherding. Who's your flock? Well, my children, my family, my extended family, my college, my workplace, my school, my college, my workplace, my school. He's the great shepherd. And so the law of first mention is when we come to this second name, Jehovah, I am the shepherd. And then he goes on and he says in verse 1, I shall not want or Jehovah, I am your provider so that you don't want. 
He's the provider, God. You remember the first mention of Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah my provider was when Abraham took his only son. You remember that story? And he took him up a mountain in obedience to God to slay his son. Took him up to Mount Moriah, which is where Jesus was also slain. It's just outside Jerusalem. You can go there today. Abraham took his son, Isaac. Isaac meaning laughter. Because he had to wait for 99 years to get him. And when he finally got him, it made him laugh with joy. Remember your first child? Remember when he came out looking like a warped prune? (laughs) And you said, oh, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I remember when our firstborn was born and holding him and he opened his eye and looked at me. I just lost it. I said, he looked at me. All the doctors come running in, the nurses. What's all the noise about? Overflowing joy. Take your son. I want to see the depth of your obedience and faith. And it's very interesting that Abraham, with Isaac, now a young man, turned to the servant and said, You stay here. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Sacrifice a worship? And then we'll return to you. And do you know the story how he took him up there and he laid him on the altar and the little boy turned around and he said, well, the big boy turned around and he said, Dad, where is the sacrifice? We've got the wood, we've got the altar, we've got the stones. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? Where's the goat? And you get these classic words. God will provide himself. Which is exactly what happened. God in Christ became the sacrifice. We're the benefits of that. He provided the sacrifice. And in Christ, therefore, we have the provision of all that we need. The Lord will provide. You know, um, last year, Penny, um, those of Antioch, would you just shake your hand at me? Because I don't think you've met my wife, Penny. Penny, would you just stand? There she is. She's the better half, just to let you know. (laughs) anybody who knows us knows that that is actually a true statement don't say amen so loudly like that Brandon well she was 80 last year and I said to her what what do you want to do for your 80th it's special, 8 decades she said well I'd like to go on a missions trip missions trip yeah she said let's go on a missions trip So I contacted an old friend of mine who's a church planter in the Middle East. His name's Tommy. We went to uh, Greece. And Tommy's been taking these Syrians and these Iraqis and Iranians and Turks and that and bringing them down as they run from their country with nothing. And they're housed by the United Nations in these refugee camps. So we, we go down there. And here's Penny, 80 years old, going into these refugee camps, sitting with these women, smiling at them, loving them, 
looking at their smartphones, sympathizing as they show her houses devastated, families gone, cars broken, children dead, lost everything. And Tommy comes in and starts preaching the gospel of the good news. Not here to argue about the Muslim God or the Christian God. I just want to tell you that there's a God in heaven who will supply all your need. If you'll turn over and clasp this finger. I thought to myself, maybe when I get to 80, it's just a long way away yet. I'll go to Florida and pick up some nice shells off the beach. And I get to Jesus and I look into his face. He says, so what did you do? Oh, not much, but you should see my shell collection. And he says to me, that's nothing. I made them. I want more than a shell collection at the end of my life. I want to burn out, not flicker. In the interest of the purpose of God for the building with Jesus of his beautiful bride, the church, I want to equip it. Psalm 37 says this. I have been young. True. Now I am old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. For he, the Lord, is ever giving generously. And today, we're going to pray together at the end of this. I'll be finished by four. We're going to pray together. Not only that God would provide for your need, but that you will have enough of a margin so that others can come and glean at your table. As Hannah so beautifully taught us last week. Always having enough for you and for others. Enough love. Are you bankrupt of love this morning? Enough patience with an impatient world. He's Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Enough wisdom, enough strength, enough perseverance, enough courage, enough money, enough resources to provide for others. This church is to be a church with a wide margin so that hundreds and thousands can glean from our table. It's a house of bread. Do you want that? Then in verse 3 we read, The third great name of Jehovah, Jehovah my shepherd, Jehovah my provider. And now, verse 3, he restores my soul. Not my spirit. My soul. The Lord Jehovah, the Lord I am Healer. It's more than healer of a cancer, healer of a blind eye, healer of a lame foot, healer of a dead baby, healer of... No, it's more than just healer. It's restorer. Ultimately, the whole earth will be restored. 
Jesus says in Revelation 22, Behold, I make all things new. What will that look like? You and I are involved and being equipped this morning to be restorers, healers. And the first mention of that, of course, was when Moses in Exodus 15 was leading his people through the wilderness and they're very thirsty because it's a desert. And they come to a great pool of water. You know the story. Moses says, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jehovah. And he steps down and he scoops the water up in his hand and tastes it. Oh, hallelujah. There's death in here. The water is bitter. Poisonous, Mara. What do I do, Lord? People are about to stone me. You see that tree over there? Go get the tree. Aaron will help you. Pull it up by the roots and throw it in the water. Now, Moses was not like you and I might have been like, what? No, no, he stood before an impossibility before. He stood before a sea and watched the wind come and blow it apart and walk through and then come back together again. How many Egyptians got through? How many of your sins are unforgiven? Not one. What a God. So he throws the tree into the water. The people are standing around and say, what are these guys doing? But they know well enough now. Strange things happen to the people of God. He reaches down and scoops down the water. And it's sweet. There was another tree 2,000 years ago that has to be thrown into my life and yours to change bitterness into sweetness so that you're equipped to take that same tree, that same water, and nourish a bitter, horror-struck world. It's a serious joy. The world we live in is our flock, but it's a sin-soaked world isn't it? It drips with the blood of violence, a world that cries out in pain from the meaningless neglect and hopelessness that's been, it's like it's anesthetizing us to sex trafficking, the abuse of children, wicked divorce, and the neglect of everything that's beautiful. And we appear to be immersed in a culture that loves death and darkness, that celebrates celebrityism in Hollywood, that seeks comfort and amusement by gloating on the bodies of women on the screens of pornography, and stoops to everything from murdering babies. <laughs> in their mother's womb. 
that stoops to gain money or power uh, no matter what the cost. That sacrifices on the altar of short-term gain the long-term pleasures of God. But God has declared that he's courting a power-filled bride. God has declared that he has a people passionately engaged with a supernatural zealot, a supernatural zealot, a Jewish man from heaven. A returning bridegroom king who right now is equipping his church with a brightness of light that nothing can extinguish and that will lead the nations. A community who transforms with signs and wonders and love-filled lives. This is, this is the path we're on. Tattooed into our character is a cross. We're dead to that world so that we can make it alive. A generation of people who will literally change the face of Christianity in their one generation. And it does need a new face. Are you, um, are you up for changing the poison bitterness and everything that's toxic, contaminated and polluted by our wicked Satan, that deceiver, who is actually vanquished immediately you throw the tree in the water? The people who are crucified daily, are we? Bounces straight back into my heart what I'm talking about off that wall right now. A daily crucifixion. Take up your cross, Jesus said. I got a cross, yes. It means being unselfish. Do you see this church of the future? You know, God in grace has called you to be a part of it. Whether I'll see the end time church or not, I'm not sure, but I believe we're at the beginning of the end. And some of you sitting here may be at the end of the end. You ready to be a restorer, a healer? Are you being equipped right now with a revelation to say yes? In some small way, I'll play my part. And then, I can't do all seven, but I'll just do one more. Is that all right? You know that, uh, that prayer actually imparts, when you agree with the Word of God that I'm sharing with you right now, there's another necessary thing to cause it to actually be injected into the very veins of your spiritual life, and that is faith with a response. Some preachers gauge their sermon by the response. I think that's superficial. But the principle of mixing the Word of God with faith, faith is an action. And it may be that you have a need, a breakthrough of God, your provider this morning, but let it be also so that others can glean from your provision, please. And then prayer and releasing on the Word will cause that to happen in your life and you'll get a larger vessel so you can receive more, so that you can give more. And not just, not just talking about money.
And prayer on the word, say, yes, I want to be a restorer. I want to be a healer. It's not just that I want only my stuff healed and restored and my relationships with my kids and the things that have got. I want all of that restored, yes, but I see a bigger picture than that. I see that I'm a missionary sent from the end of my street to the ends of the earth to restore all things that the prophets have spoken of. When you receive that word by faith and you mix it with an action of response, let somebody pray for me. Let me reach my heart into this. Don't just leave the auditorium this morning and just have one half without the other. I, I really want you enriched, equipped, so that we're united and we haven't just got a lot of plumbing in the house with nothing else. Well... Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Jehovah, I am your provider. I am your good shepherd. I am your healer. Your restorer, I am your sanctifier. I'll make you perfect. The perfect one, equipping us to be perfect, sanctified, whole, clean, holy. Does a world in need need that? You know, sheep are very vulnerable to parasites. They're strange creatures. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're not sheep, but we're like sheep. I hope you're like a sheep, not a goat. Sheep says, Amen. Goat says, But, 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 but. Which are you? Amen. And they've got wet, wet noses which attract parasites. These little mayflies and other bugs, and they crawl up the nasal of the sheep, and they lay their larvae right at the top of the sheep's nose. And then when it hatches, these little boogers reach up into the brain of the sheep and torture the sheep. If you've ever been in the countryside and you've watched sheep, as, as I personally have done, from a distance, you notice that they'll suddenly dart one way and then stop and dart the other way for no apparent reason. It's because they're being tormented in their mind and their brain and they're trying to shake out these parasites by sudden movements. The Bible says that in the last days people will run to and fro the busy lifestyle trying to get it right, driven by the parasites of a deceptive devil. You got any parasites up your nose? Got any lies telling you what you aren't? There's such a thing as 24-7, prayer and worship, Revelation 5.8. There's also 
such a thing as 24-7 accusation. You're no good, you're no good, you're no good. You've heard this before, you've tried before, you've tried before, you failed, you failed, you failed. It's no good, give up, give up, give up. 24-7. And sheep also are vulnerable to what are called scabs. It's a very highly infectious scab. And it forms on the head. But sheep are affectionate. They like to nuzzle one another. They like to get their heads together. But it's very infectious if you're nuzzling a sheep with scab. We've got to be careful who we nuzzle. The Bible says, be careful of the friends you choose because you'll become like them. I like Brandon. He's my friend. I want to become like him. No scabs. And the good shepherd, he walks amongst the sheep. There was once a tour going on in Israel and there was a flock of sheep going across the hills and there was a man on a tractor behind the sheep and one of the tourists said, I thought that the good shepherd led the sheep from the front of the flock. Tour guide said, ah, you see that man is not a shepherd. He's a butcher. Driving the sheep. And actually it's not true. The good shepherd doesn't lead from the front. He leads amongst the flock. Examining what is this I see here? Oh, little scab. We better deal with that now because I love you so much. And I love the rest of the sheep, so we don't want any infection going on. And he reached into his pouch. He's got an ointment there. It's olive oil thickened and mixed with sulfur. He smears it all over the head. <laughs> A loving hand with nourishing ointment. He anoints my head with oil. And therefore, my cup overflows. You see, the overflow that you and I want so that others can drink of our overflow, so that we're equipped for something outside of the four walls, this is an equipping message to bless you so that you bless to cause you to overflow so that you overflow and i remember being in a meeting one time and i i i wanted to be filled full with the full measure of god whatever that would look like and when the guy had hardly finished preaching i said I, he said come down i was down there first down there i want to overflow and just simply he anointed my head with oil well, we've got water here. I don't know if we've got any oil. But water's a sign of the Holy Spirit too. And there's something when you hear the word of faith and you mix it with faith. That is an action. You see, the first mention of sanctifier comes in Leviticus. He says, I am the Lord, your sanctifier, and it says in Leviticus, uh, 
if you will obey me and do my commandments, then I will bless you. Oh, my. I got to do something to get the blessing then? When you as a parent require something of your child to do something, thank you for the oil, woman of faith. Uh, I'm serious. You want this stuff, you've got to come and drink. You've got to come and receive. It's an act of humility and faith. I'm going to have prayer team in a minute come. I want you to saturate your hands with oil. And I want you to invite you to come and say, this is what I want. I want the Jehovah bit. The, I want the I am shepherd bit. I want the provider bit. I want the healer bit. I want the sanctifier bit. I want the overflow bit, please. And I'm coming to receive. So when you as a parent, you ask your children to do something, and they do it, how does that make you feel as a parent? I, I mean, difficult for you to relate to this, Rich, I know, but how does it make you feel when Jamin actually does the lawn as you asked him? Joy. It gives you joy. And what do you feel like when you see your father experiencing joy because of something you've done? Proud. You feel proud of him? Yeah. How would you feel? How would you feel? Happy. Happy. So in other words, obedience, obedience creates pleasure in the parent. And when the parent is filled with pleasure, the child observing that experiences joy. More pleasure. So obedience from the point of view of where God is saying, I want you to obey me and keep my commandments, his motive is so that you'd get pleasure. Not so that he can say, well done, now then do this. Our gospel is a gospel of pleasure. My cup overflows. And goodness and mercy are the two sheepdogs faithfully chasing behind you. How many of you have experienced goodness and mercy? Oh, mercy. Oh, my goodness. Do you stand with me? I'm going to invite you to come down the front for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long it is. I want you to receive so that you're further equipped in order that this week, Monday through Sunday, you go and care and love for people, provide for them, let them glean on your field, together as a family of God, as a community, Let's reach to the great shepherd for a deeper, further equipping this morning. Come now. Come out of your seat.